Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Welcome back to Anchored and Reaching, all of you curious people who have subscribed to this podcast, and I hope it's a lot, and I hope you share it with a lot of people. And frankly, I hope it stimulates your curiosity and begins to cause you to think thoughts that maybe you've never thought before, or at least to give voice to some of the thoughts that you've thought but were afraid to ask. Uh, That doesn't mean that we're trying to be super risky, but in some respects, we want to make sure we bring voice to some of the questions that help us to explore our faith and deepen our foundations as Christ followers, being both anchored in our identity of who we are in Christ, and even our identity in the tradition, in the church that we happen to be part of, but at the same time, being confident enough to reach into new territory and explore new ideas in ways that perhaps we never would, And in some cases, if you're a pastor or a leader, you probably shouldn't because you don't want to disrupt people's journey in faith, especially if they may be uh, on a younger part of their journey. So I'm just really glad you join us each week for Anchored and Reaching. And uh, in particular, we're in the middle of this series called The Diversity of Unity. That means that unity cannot exist without diversity. So the beauty of discovering unity is also embracing the diversity, and to do that, we got to understand what that diversity is. So we've been talking to different people who are part of the river system of God, and you heard me explain that in the introduction to this, and if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to the introductory version or the introductory episode of this particular series. We've been talking to different people in different streams of that river system to show the beauty, the power, the greatness, the amazing wonder of God's church in all of its diversity and yet the unity that comes from that. So I'm glad you're joining us for this episode. I hope you share it broadly with a lot of people. And in this episode, we have the distinct privilege of having Bishop Heather Beatty with us. Um, She is a bishop in the Brethren in Christ Church. Heather, it's really glad to have you here. It's really good to have you here, and I'm glad you joined us. Let me get my words right there. Well, thank you, Kevin. It's good to be with you today. Well, and so we want to talk about peace, because Mm -hmm. the Brethren in Christ Church, that you are uh, part of the leadership of that, um, is a peace church movement. So first of all, tell us just a little bit about the Brethren in Christ Church, because they're all over the country, all over the world for that matter, uh-huh. but you know, it might be a little bit enigmatic in terms of the title. Yes. So um, the Brethren in Christ Church is a smaller denomination compared to some. Um, here in the United States, we are centered in Grantham, Pennsylvania, just outside mm-hmm. of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, and are looking to celebrate our 250th uh, anniversary in 2028. Wow. So you guys are old. <laughs> Is that old? Compared to some denominations. To <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, some denominations are like 90 years old or 75 or 120 or whatever. Like, you're 250 years old. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> That's pretty amazing. 
and and uh, it so it's been around a long, long time. So I mean, this is just I think everybody probably may want to wonder may may wonder about this. So it's the Brethren in Christ, and you're a female bishop. So how <laughs> does that work? Being a woman bishop in the Brethren in Christ? Yes, that's a great <laughs> question, and clearly we use that broad definition of brethren. Um, sure. But in the Brethren in Christ, uh, one of our key distinctives is how deeply we value community and the community voice as part of the process of discernment and understanding scripture and decision-making together. And so that concept of the brethren doing life together has been really important. And in recent years, there's been lots of discussion of should we change that? Um, It's a bit antiquated. Um, Can people really relate to that? And yet the, the heart of it is still very important to us. Yeah. So the idea of community is what you really are elevating here in that, in that term, man, that's what, that's wonderful. And I, and and as I know, the brethren in Christ have really, I mean, you ordain women, you have leaders Mm -hmm. who are women for quite some time. And a matter of fact, I think one of your predecessors, if I'm not mistaken in that area, um, you, you replaced a female bishop or one in a nearby uh, area, if I'm not region, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. In the region just next to us. So 250 years old, that even precedes like the, the Wesleyan movement and the holiness movement. I know you're part of the holiness movement, but so what was it that really uh, started the brethren in Christ? What were the the dynamics that caused it to begin? Those are those are great questions, and it may be helpful even to to just acknowledge that um, the brethren in Christ also have uh, what we call kind of multi streams of influence mm-hmm. in our history, mm-hmm. and so uh, Anabaptism was one of the first, and we will talk more about that today as we get into this conversation about peace, um, yeah. and then Pietism. Okay. as well as Wesleyanism, um, the Brethren of Christ, just as, as we have um, walked this journey of, of development of denomination and continued to, uh, to work through Scripture together, as well as engage with other denominations, um, we have kind of morphed over the years and, um, and accepted and taken on, uh, things that we find in common. And so I love this conversation about unity and those things we hold in common together. Yeah. So you bring it up. I mean, eventually I want to get to the question Mm -hmm. of what do you mean by peace? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people assume that's pacifism. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a different take on it within the BIC. I'll, you, you know, if I use that word to understand folks, I'm talking about the brethren in Christ, the BIC, you get the idea. Sure, thanks. But 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 explain to us a little bit because you mentioned the word Anabaptist. I mean, who is she? Yeah. Um, who's Anna? And, uh-huh. and what you know? I mean, I'm I'm being facetious here, but <laughs> yes. when you hear a word like that, you just sort of people just sort of throw it away and and they don't want to pipe up and say, I don't understand that. Yeah. What does that really mean? So yeah. so can you explain that to us uh, first of all, and then maybe we can tilt into some of the other subjects. Sure, and some of these things overlap quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. historically, particularly in this conversation around peace. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting and helpful to note that uh, for about the first 200 years following Jesus, there was not much Christian participation in war um, or 
a lot of overlap with the state. And then uh, we went through a period where there was a lot of that, um, Augustine and, um, and some of those influences. And coming into a period of like 1400s, 1500s, uh, where there there was a period of time where the church and state were very much uh, intertwined mm. and to the point um, where there were uh, leaders in the church who were actually employed uh, to carry out the will of the state in sometimes very ungodly ways. Mm-hmm. And so late 1500s, um, some people refer to it as the Radical Reformation, mm. uh, this group of Anabaptists, um, this group of believers said one of the pieces of that overlap was the baptism of children. And when they were baptized, they were, they were brought in also then not only to the church, but the state very much so. And Mm -hmm. so this group of believers said, we just, as we look at scripture, we don't find that to be scriptural. We, Mm -hmm. we believe that someone makes a confession of faith and then they're baptized as, um, as a demonstration of their faith Mm -hmm. solely to Jesus. So what you're saying is that in those days, the church, which would largely be the Catholic church, baptize infants and by virtue of that infant baptism yes. would also become a citizen of the state. Yes, correct. I see. Gotcha. And not only the Catholic Church, but yes, that would have been one of the mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in making the decision to baptize believers at that time, that was a heresy punishable by death. Mm-hmm. Um this was considered treason. And mm-hmm. so those first believers who baptized uh, adults after a confession of faith, uh, some of them did give their lives for for that. And so this out of this came the idea of Anabaptists, mm-hmm. a new kind of baptism. Yeah. So in essence, then, as I've grown to understand it, Anabaptism is really an emphasis on the rebaptizing of people who have already been baptized by the church as infants and now they come to a point of what today people might call believers baptism or by profession of faith and they are baptized again as an adult and that is what you're saying was punishable by death really in those days exactly that would have been the original understanding and how that transpired yes so today a lot of churches practice rebaptizing, uh-huh. you know, or yes. they don't. Some churches don't baptize infants. Other right. churches do baptize. So, so is there? Um, are you guys okay with denominations that do baptize infants? Because there are a lot of them. I mean, the Free Methodist sure. Church baptize infants, the Nazarenes, and then sure. of course, you know, um, many of the other mainline Protestants baptize infants. Is that okay mm-hmm. with you all? I mean, I think it depends what you mean. Okay. <laughs> we would very much appreciate those brothers and sisters. And yet in for us and our practices, um, even to to be received into membership, we do require a believer's baptism. Gotcha. Uh, an adult uh, public declaration of faith in that way. I see. So if somebody comes from a church where they were baptized as an infant and they want to go to a BIC church, then they have to be baptized as an adult before they could be a member of a BIC church. Presently, that is our practice, yes. Interesting, yes. Okay, yeah, so that that really helps because I know that word can sometimes be a little confusing for Mm -hmm. people and what does Anabaptism mean? And of course, Mm -hmm. 
and, and understand, folks, that when you use a term like this, there are attenuating uh, ways of thinking about everything else that goes along with that kind of a that kind of, right? I mean, there's a Absolutely. pattern of thinking, there's an approach yep. to relationship, there's all kinds of things. So, yes. So, so turn the corner then a little mm-hmm. bit for us and how that relates to this idea of peace. Uh, you mentioned it, that they're yes. connected and, yes. and pietism. And so along with that and closely tied in the sense of that idea of church and state and a, a soul allegiance being made to Jesus um, that we would see, yes, absolutely, uh, we're part of this wonderful, in our case, American community and nation, and we Mm -hmm. have a duty to be good citizens, um, good neighbors. And yet, if that is ever in question about versus our allegiance to Jesus, um, that will all be always be our primary. And so I think that's really helpful starting point for people to understand why it is that we hold a peace position or a pacifist position. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we use those words interchangeably. You already mentioned that they're not necessarily interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So in what ways would those would those be different? Like when you say we are a peace church movement, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. And maybe it would be helpful for for you also to define uh, kind of how you come come sure. to the conversation utilizing those historically and still we would be considered a pacifist church and typically that is used um, specifically when talking about a military practice gotcha. or participation and so we would be one of the churches who hold a conscientious objector position okay. when it comes to military involvement however i would say that that the peace position encompasses much a much broader scope than that and so one of our brethren in christ core values we have 10 of them um, one of our core values we would say is pursuing peace Mm-hmm. And and in that that value, we would say that we value all human life. We mm-hmm. seek to promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. And and so, of course, that that then broadens that conversation quite mm-hmm. a bit. That's mm-hmm. how I would use those distinctives, Kevin. How about you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you know the idea of peace is such a broad, broad theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, there are people who would define peace as the absence of mm-hmm. conflict. And so if you are a peace church, then it must mean that you avoid all conflict uh, whatsoever. Yes. Uh, on the other end of the continuum, there are those who might define peace as the shalom of God, or yes. in, in, in deeper terms, or in terms that we can understand, the fullness of the flourishing, the wholeness of God, the shalom of God, mm-hmm. becoming all that God intended for us to be in perfect contentment with how he created us. So we seek the shalom yes. of Christ, the fullness of Christ, uh, mm-hmm. the fullness of being how he intended. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the middle of that continuum, I think a lot of people get get confused. You know, I, I guess I would, I would, as I understand the Brethren in Christ Church, it's not that you understand peace as the absence of conflict, because I think you guys probably have 
disagreements even within membership of the Brethren in Christ Church. And so it's not that you don't have conflict, it's that you seek the greater good of a of a resolution that finds itself rooted in the wholeness of God. Absolutely. I mean, that's the way I guess I would interpret the BIC understanding of peace. Am I am I on track? Definitely. And yet all of those components have been part of our journey mm-hmm. as we seek to be peacemakers, mm-hmm. both, and I would say good and bad, as you're saying, um, sometimes uh, we have this ideal of peace where I think there is a false assumption that that means no conflict. Yeah, And those are things that even internally we continue to, to work through and to try to define and redefine that. No, that's not, I mean, we grow through conflict. Anytime Mm -hmm. we're in relationship, we experience that. Um, But this pursuit of, as you're saying, um, partnering with God in the pursuit of shalom Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and experiencing that and helping others experience that in him. Mm -hmm. And that other piece of pursuing creative uh, resolution and reconciliation Mm. as part of that. That's a great statement. Pursuing creative reconciliation. I mean, I, I like that phrase a lot. Uh, be, and it seems to me, Heather, that that's where you alluded to the way in which Anabaptism and Pietism and peace mm-hmm. all intermingle at some mm-hmm. point. And it seems to me this is one of those intersections between peace yeah. and Pietism where, you know, the holiness of God yes. that comes out of your Wesleyan emphasis and your holiness emphasis, the pietism of being uh, a reflection of mm-hmm. God's holiness mm-hmm. then leads you to seek that higher level, that resolution, that reconciliation that that does not require confrontation as much as possible. Am I, I mean, are we reading that correctly? Definitely. And, and maybe I would even reframe that to say not even necessarily avoiding confrontation because Jesus mm-hmm. confronts people. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, the not using violence in those confrontations. Not using violence. Correct. That's good. Yeah. So let, let me take it to a little more practical, unless unless there's more about this idea of peace that you want to put on the table to make sure we understand. No, I don't think so. Except that I would just uh, just say again how much I appreciate the use of your your definition of, of holiness being the reflection of Christ in us, uh-huh. because that has been critical to who we are as a people of just a really passionate pursuit of what does it look like to to truly look like Jesus and so much of much of this conversation about peace and how we engage people and how we engage uh, situations of conflict yeah. is based on that principle. Yeah, well, and that manifests itself. I mean, for example, you and I are talking, mm-hmm. and you are an Anabaptist. <laughs> In other words, you prefer adult baptism and prefer mm-hmm. not to practice infant baptism. I, in my denomination in the Free uh-huh. Methodist Church, we uh-huh. baptize infants, and I I sure. strongly believe in pedo baptism. And it's not that I th- it's not that I throw away adult baptism, but I believe in um, you know my children were all uh-huh. baptized as infants, right? And and so you're still being nice to me. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and we are sort of still friends, right? And, and even if there was much greater antagonism, <laughs> hopefully you would still experience the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that that relational holiness finds its way into even some of those differences of theological yes. perspective. And I think for a for a group of people that came out of violence mm-hmm. where the Anabaptists or the rebaptizers were killed because they believed in adult baptism. Yes. To adopt a posture of peace is pretty commendable. And uh, historically, it seems mm-hmm. to me. Yes, that's very that's very much an accurate statement. Yeah, and so that that finds its way into the disposition of peace church people, so to speak. You know, it seems to yes. me, and so so let's go to the pragma, pragmatics of this, the practice mm-hmm. of it, um, in terms of how does that play out? So you've already alluded to the fact that the Brethren in Christ would support and encourage conscientious objection when it comes to military conflict. Uh-huh. How does that play out then in terms of supporting national interests mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, in a country that might engage in a war sure. and your members are part of that nation, whether it's the United States, whether it's Brazil, whether mm-hmm. it's China, wherever they are? Right. right. How how do they navigate that? Right. I think it's probably important for me to say clearly this would be our denominational position, how this is lived out mm. from person to person or maybe congregation to congregation may look a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I think one of the things that you touched on there, Kevin, is an integral part of this for us, too, it, is as we look at the life of Jesus and and our understanding is that in Christ's coming incarnate, he ushered in a whole new kingdom that went from God's people, the Israelites, to breaking wide open those doors of a transnational church, this body of Christ that knows no national borders. And so that's significant for us when we consider why we choose not to take up arms as well, that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who live on the other side of the border, whatever that border mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think what you're asking, though, is how did maybe maybe it goes back to that that original question of uh, how do I participate in such a way that I am a good citizen in in some of these times of conflict or struggle and yet hold that peace position or non-resistance position? And I think over the years, many people have done that in different ways. Um, some, many of ours would have chosen to serve in capacities in which they could serve people, whether it's, um, in the medical field, many of ours would have been agricultural. Um, Mm. so they would have participated in that way, supporting the country from that perspective. I think the other piece too, is that the flip side of seeking, and, and in some ways it's similar, seeking the good of the nation and of the people, whether it's our people right around us or Americans or others in other countries, uh, is actively pursuing um, justice Mm -hmm. and um, help, whether it's people who are suffering um, from a variety of things that that we choose to engage in those ways, maybe in essence, in a a more positive, proactive way, uh, rather than in a violent way sense of conflict. Gotcha. Does that answer that question? I think so. It, it, it begins to address it. And if you don't mind, Heather, mm-hmm. and, and you can tell me if, if I'm crossing a line here, but 
um, uh, let me try to put to voice maybe something that some people may be asking mm-hmm. of a peace church movement and of people in a peace church. How is it that that a church can emphasize so strongly nonviolence at, at the expense or at the hand of those who have had to engage in violent conflict in order to ensure that you can do that, Sure. if that makes sense. Sure. In other words, there are a lot of people who have gone mm-hmm. to war and they've lost relatives mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They, are, they, they, they are proud uh, mm-hmm. to have served their yes. country to protect the freedom and, uh, to be able to have an emphasis on peace over violence. How, how do you reconcile those right. two opposite ends of the polar t- extreme? And clearly, I think this, what you're asking is one of the most sensitive Mm -hmm. pieces of this whole conversation. And for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, you hold directly opposing views in this, in this instance. And one of the things that I do think that our church has found helpful, even in our articles of faith and doctrine is including a statement about respecting those who hold other interpretations of Mm -hmm. scripture Mm -hmm. And that, you know, at some level, this is a matter of conviction, we -hmm. acknowledge. And, and certainly, particularly for people who have themselves served or have family members who have served, this is very near and dear to their hearts and their families. Um, And so trying to engage that respectfully, and yet... I mean, one, maintaining our own deep sense of conviction uh, that goes back to, and yet as as I look at the life and the teaching of Jesus, um, this is how we interpret how we are supposed to act. And so we, we hold to that. And at the same time, I also think there is some value in pushing back just a little mm-hmm. to say, yes, we have procured our rights and freedom in that way. And yet the question remains, would that be the only way? Mm-hmm. You know, that is how we have accomplished that. And yet I think people like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr., I mean, today we're celebrating that. And, mm-hmm. and some of those folks would say that um, that's the way that we have done that. But is that truly the only way mm-hmm. to, uh, to establish peace, mm-hmm. yeah. whether it's interpersonal or national? Yeah, that's well put. Peace. Yeah, that's very well put. I, I appreciate that a lot. I guess I go back maybe to some of the introductory episodes we've done in this series where when I define this river system of God mm-hmm. with multiple streams, yeah. each of those streams is different, but one is, may not be better than the other. Yes, that's true. And frankly, when you remove one of those streams, the entire river systems become becomes less. Mm-hmm. When I had conversations with my daughter in the in the two episodes that began this to frame this up in terms of how the church is similar to the vascular system of the human body, mm-hmm. you know, there are parts of the vascular system that do certain functions without which the entire system would not work. Mm-hmm. And if you take those individual parts out of the vascular system, blood would not ultimately get to the muscle. Oxygen would not uh, would mm-hmm. ultimately not get to the get to the muscles. So I guess the way I look at this is there is a diversity of manifestations of the people of God in the world. Mm-hmm. And if we remove this peace church stream or this component part of this diversity of the church of God in the world, something is lost. 
And, and all of a sudden, when, when part of us is missing, we tend to go to our extreme in our own nature. So sure. if, if the peace church is lost in the history of the church, we're going to become a more violent church. Mm-hmm. As long as the peace church is here, it moderates the extremes, it seems to me. So the contribution here just, I mean, you're making the point that, that it's not a matter of being against. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of, of fighting with people who think differently. It's a matter of, of saying, this is part of the body of Christ. I remember mm-hmm. a bishop in the Brethren in Christ Church standing up in front of 350 pastors in California at an event once, and his final words were, will you please just give peace a chance? Hmm. He wasn't asking that everybody mm-hmm. change to become pacifists mm-hmm. or to become peace church. Just allow peace to salt your life and allow peace to affect how you proceed in your Christian walk Mm-hmm. And see if that moderates or changes your own discipleship and becoming more yeah. fully what God intended you to be, right? Right. And I, and I think that that's true uh, in so many areas, that that is the beauty of diversity. Yes. And I believe why Christ prayed for our unity around many of these these different topics or themes. And I do think that that, that is one of the gifts, because as we talked about, it's so easy, especially um, whether it's as a nation or as an individual, if if we're used to solving things um, through greater conflict, yes, that 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 tends to be where we immediately go, mm-hmm. rather than exploring other options, maybe first or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or as primary. Avenues. Yeah. Well, Heather, this is awesome, and we could go on and on and <laughs> yes. talk about this. Uh, I hope that you will continue to represent the part of the body of Christ and the kingdom of heaven that emphasizes peace, because we need that, and I need to hear that, and many other people need to hear that, not to disagree, but to embrace and give it a chance, and to allow this part of the body of Christ to affect the whole rest of the river system, so to speak. I, I'm really grateful. Appreciate that, Kevin. And thanks for creating these opportunities to have conversations like this. Well, thank you, Heather. That's I appreciate that that remark because that's what this is all about, is helping us to appreciate one another, to find the unity that is endemic within the body of Christ if we will just discover it and allow our own uh, blinders to come down and see one another as God sees us as part of the the larger work of God in the world. So thank you very, very much. Yeah. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. Um, And this has been a really great conversation. I hope that you will uh, share this this series broadly because uh, there are an awful lot of people that can be helped by listening to people like Bishop Beatty in her remarks and understanding that there are different segments of the church from which we can learn a great deal and grow in our own walk with God. So uh, feel free to share this broadly, check out uh, show notes, and feel free to email uh, us at any time with your comments, your remarks, your observations at podcast at anchoredandreaching.com. Love to hear from you. And until next week and the next episode, uh, may God bless you richly. 
Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.